But what we're just looking for is to make sure teams that communicate and stay connected see great results. And you know, look at how often a sports team would meet. You know, if you if you respect a retailer or a business, if anybody's a Starbucks fan, next time you're in Starbucks, ask ask the person how often that team meets. The reality is Starbucks is a brand that most of us know and some of us like spends more money and investment on their people than they do on coffee. Welcome back again, rock stars. Thanks for being with us. My guest today, Matt Rolf, is a mentor to the top 10% of our hospitality industry, a true leader who is going to share with us his philosophies on leadership and effective style, the difference between delegating and empowerment. We're going to talk about what Matt calls vulnerability leadership. We'll also be talking about how effective leaders prioritize and execute, as well as Matt's new book, You Can't Do It Alone. Stay with us. This is a great episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well-trained that they're executing flawlessly. Your front of house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences, while your back of house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time, and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety, and it is a powerful mobile training system, custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills, maximize your profits, and create experiences guests will rave about. Serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn, the more your restaurant will earn. It's Serve, and it's a game changer. Ready to serve? Get started at servenow.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and I'm excited to introduce Mr. Matt Rolf, and he is a hospitality coach, a speaker, entrepreneur, and author of a new book called You Can't Do It Alone, a long hospitality backstory. We're going to dive deep into current situation in the hospitality industry, what we can do, best practices. Um, Welcome to the show, Matt. How are you today? I am amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you because you've got, again, such an interesting story. You're a hospitality coach, you're an author, you're an entrepreneur, and everything we're going to talk about today, I think, is relevant to what operators are going through today. But as my audience knows, we always start with, where did it all start for you? You know, were you a youngster working in a McDonald's? (laughs) Did you cook in the kitchen? Did you work at a country club as a dishwasher like I did? Like everyone has their own start in this business. What was yours and how did it lead to what you're doing now? Sure. And I'll take it back a little bit farther because I think I, I want to say I found hospitality, but I think that it really found me. Um, so in school, I was diagnosed with a learning disability in public school. So at that stage in, in Canada up here, it's kind of a little bit of a holding type. So you don't get the opportunity to learn. I ended up in, in high school and a guidance counselor in grade nine said, you know what, Matt, we don't think you're going to make it through high school. You know, I don't think you're going to make it through the process. Um, and it's probably best for you to consider alternative employment. Um, as a scrappy young kid, um, I resisted that and was able to fight through school and, and graduate with honors. But I did go out and look and I had the opportunity to get exposure to the hospitality industry. So just basic work inside restaurants and, you know, helping out cleaning dishes for, for, for the start. And I, what I loved about hospitality is there was no judgment around what people, the impression of people are having on my school background or what others were saying was possible for me. 
And the restaurant industry for me was the first people, leaders that that looked at me and said, we believe in you. You can do great things, but you got to learn to work hard. You got to hustle. Um, and I took my high school years to work, uh, then went to college, um, had exposure to the campus pubs and, and restaurants, uh, but got involved at the age of 19 with Bacardi. Uh, so I took on a sales job at a really young age, which allowed me to learn the retail side of our industry, but also start calling for a very strange reason. But the dynamic had me actually calling at 19 years old on about 150 restaurants uh, north of Toronto here and started to understand what they were going through and what they wanted. I then moved from Bacardi over to a company called Labatt here, which is now owned by Anheuser-Busch, um, sort of the biggest uh, beer company in Canada. And through that, had exposure to hundreds of restaurants, hundreds of operators, uh, all these great districts and territories I was managing where people were selling a lot of my beer. But when I sat with the owner in the back in their office, they usually had a cigarette in their hand back then and possibly a drink in the other hand. And they were had their, their hands in their face. And they're saying, you know, everything looks great on the floor, but I'm not making any money. And my the accounts in my top 10 list were going bankrupt. So we then launched a company that focused on increasing profitability for restaurants. Um, we could go into any restaurant and put about $100,000 to the bottom line of really well-run restaurants in the first 12 months. Uh, but after 10 years of doing that, I realized we weren't coaching processes. Or as you know, what we're really coaching is behavior change. How do we get people focused on certain elements of their business that when done relentlessly, as we talked about earlier, will produce the results they want and deserve? So that's the, I'm trying to condense a little bit of an elevator pitch, but it's gone. Yeah, from, I'm getting it. it. I've never left it. And tw- I said this the other 20 years later, I don't, I look, I look at the old guy that's sitting on the Zoom camera right now. That's me, but it's been 20 years and this is my life and where I coach and where I stay. Well, you know, passion is just coming through so clear. And this is a business of passion, whether you're an owner, whether you're a manager, whether you're a bartender, a dishwasher, it doesn't matter. The chemistry in restaurants and the fun of running and being involved in a restaurant. And so many people start their careers there and yes, they go on to other things, but you know, the life skills that we learn working in restaurants, I can't think of, I've been in a lot of different industries as an entrepreneur, just like you. And I can't think of any business that has that passion that runs through an organization where you can learn anything. You can start at the very bottom, no college degree and literally own an empire of restaurants. I've had guests that, you know, have had that story. It's just extraordinary. And, you know, your passion and your story just rings so true to that. And right now, our goal with the podcast, because, you know, I don't need to tell anyone the pandemic isn't over yet. After two years, we're like, are you kidding me? It's still going on. And then on top of all the pandemic challenges, there's been the labor crisis. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But unbelievable what operators have had to go through. It's devastated the industry. We've lost well over 100,000 restaurants to the pandemic, but there's still a lot of them standing but there's also new opportunity for existing operators to expand their business or for new people to enter the industry. So it's a real rebirth that's going on. And I think you're at the forefront of that. And I can't wait to get into a little bit more of your story. Now you're a coach and you're a mentor. And I understand that, you know, you've coached some of the top 10% of the hospitality industry, and it's all about unlocking true potential. So can you tell the audience what you specialize in and how you go about unlocking the potential of a person, an organization, and then getting the most out of the people that work for that organization. Like it's a real art and a science. Absolutely. And, and I've and to be honest, in the coaching space, um, my coach taught me to go out and, and learn from the best. Like coaching is a yeah. process. So coaching, you know, we have a lot of our general managers or managers in restaurants that we're asking to be coaches. 
one thing I know from becoming one and making, you know, I love not mistakes that didn't hurt my clients, but made work harder and I had to find a new path. But coaching is a learned skill. Uh, so the approach that we take to break it down into simple steps is leadership and what we need now and at times of extreme challenge and change, we need leadership. And what we need most and what people are craving right now is how do I get direction from the people I'm looking to or looking up to inside my company? So coaching starts with the leader or the leadership team. So how do we get them focused on where we want to be? And before we used to talk about three and five year business plans, but I think based on the pipe pandemic, it's three months and 12 months. You know, where do we need to be to win? So how do we play to win, not play not to lose? So just play in the game to try to survive. But how do we get our businesses back going again? where they're moving in a direction that's sustainable. So the first step is, is where are we going? The next step is how do we enroll and engage and communicate to our team on, on that vision and why should they care? I think pre-pandemic, we could say, here's our vision, join my team, support me. But now I really feel that it's about how do we design a strategy that our staff, our management buy into, care about, so they feel developed and supported and stay with us. And then what, what I've learned is my first few years of coaching, we do these great workshops. As you know, you travel the world, you get on a stage, you, you know, these people are thrilled with all the content. And I go back three months later and I say, how did that go? And they said, Matt, that was great, but we got really busy. Yes. Um, we still want to do that, but we didn't get it done. So I'm saying this vulnerably and honestly, we went back and really looked at all of our coaching is grounded in an execution-focused strategy. So no BS, we need to make sure that what we, what we align to and what we want to achieve we have an achievable plan that, that's, that's executable at the restaurant level. So not in a boardroom, but at a restaurant level. You've touched on a couple of key points here because yes, inspiration is clearly there. You can get somebody all fired up. And yeah. then the nature of this business being what it is, business, I call it business of a thousand details. You quickly get caught up in putting out the daily fires. That's the typical management MO. You know, It's like, okay, things happen. The unexpected is always around the next corner. We can't see around corners. And you have best ideas in mind. And then the execution may fall short because the bandwidth is just so much, especially now during the pandemic. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. But then you mentioned business plans. Do you suggest, and, and let's talk about that three, uh, did you say three month and a year versus longer term? Yeah, we still want to be looking forward, but I think right now, based yeah. on the acceleration of change, that if we have absolute clarity on what success looks like inside of three months, and, mm -hmm. and just right now, you know, we're seeing the Super Bowl approaching. So the teams that are in the yes. playoffs know exactly how they win. Mm -hmm. Does your restaurant, does everybody on your restaurant team or in your restaurant group know exactly how we win 2022? And a simple and concise, you know, one or two sentence. I'm not a complexity coach. I can give you the five-page business plan if you wanted with all the details, if that's what, what the, the want is from an operator. But really, it's simplicity, one-page plans that are clear that we can go after it. I think clarity on our 12 months. What's the one sentence that defines how you win this year? Okay. That, that brings up something else that I read recently. I was pouring through your website and your media kits and things, and you talked about a vision statement versus a why statement. But before we go there, let's go back to the business plan for a moment, because yep. as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of opportunity now. Lots of people are entering the business. A lot of them have never been in this business before, but okay, they're tired of the job. Maybe they're going to cash in their 401k. They see an opportunity. There's a restaurant that used to be successful. It's, it's there. The fit-ups are there. We can just move right in. You know, I got grandma's secret recipe, whatever. People get in this business for a variety of reasons, but they do need a business plan, which is like a roadmap. It's a template yeah. to follow that keeps you on course because, you know, how are you going to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going? You know, that's an old phrase and you know, everyone's heard that. So there's your business plan, right? Whether you're an existing operator, you 
you need a business plan or whether you're just starting a business. But now we're looking at a more short-term focus versus you know, a veteran that's been in the Super Bowl year after year after year, you know, they're a veteran operator, but still everything has turned upside down. And now there's a time to re-look and re-examine your business, but not just being so close to it as one person is, getting the entire team on board behind it to share a vision. So that brings me to this vision versus why statement. Can you explain what that all means? Yes, I think you know, your vision statement is longer term of you know, where are we going? So what, what are we looking to achieve? Where are we looking to end up? So I would talk to both of us to our businesses is where do we want to be 12 months from now? Who's around us? You know, what, who are we working with? Who are we supporting? What guests are we serving? What management do we have? What are we doing with our days? Most people watching this have had to do tasks that are outside their, their love for the industry or outside their core talent based on just creating uh, sustainability for their operation over the last 12 months because we've been short on labor. We've been short on cash. We've had restrictions. So people are doing things they don't necessarily love. So how do we get back to what we're best at for the business? But the vision is where do we want to be inside of 12 months? And you can see, we, I still would work on a 36-month plan, but it's we've got to get the 12 months nailed. But when it comes to the why statement is why do you care? So goals don't motivate us. So the actual, the definition of a goal is not the motivator. It's how's it going to make us feel? Why does it matter to you? Why are you willing to give up time, money, sacrifice to achieve this goal. And if we can get grounded on a why statement, so I'll give this vulnerably on this call, I wanted to lose weight. So I don't want to lose weight and going into the new year. I wanted to be more confident. I wanted to look in the mirror and be more satisfied. I'm not trying, I'm an older guy. I'm not trying to get ripped in abs and all that stuff, but I found the weight that I was regaining wasn't making me feel the way I do, but my motivator is emotional. My motivator is not tied around a metric. So the why statement is what's, what are you really going to deeply buy into and what are your people going to care about? Because right now we have a labor shortage. So the one thing we should be making when we hire people is find people, as Simon Sinek says, how do we find people who believe what we believe? And when we get people who believe what we can believe, we can, we can change a culture, we can change the business results, we can scale the restaurant group this year. The opportunity is there, but it starts with focus. So the staff of any organization, restaurants, hotels included, are based on the staff. The staff are foundational to all these organizations. And yes, we're in the midst of a labor crisis and a lot of operators are finding a lot of um, you know, businesses booming and yet they can't serve the customer effectively. They can't deliver the kind of service the customers come to expect. Prices are rising. They have to raise their prices. And now there's this double-edged sword where a customers come in and I like to use the word guest, not customer. So guests are coming in the door, of course, and they have certain high expectations. And it's really hard to communicate the challenges that we're going through in an authentic way so that they're, you can get the support of the guest as opposed to maybe they're not getting the experience they've come to um, understand and, and be delivered before, but now you got to find that balance somehow. Okay. So with that in mind, now we're talking about getting the whole staff on this sort of forward vision and everybody on the same page, which requires training, which requires planning meetings. And I always encouraged my staff to come up with their own unique ideas that you know brought our business for, further. And I encouraged, as you do, any organization to do this. So let's talk about you know, how do you, how does an organization nurture and get the entire staff to be comfortable with generating ideas that are going to move that business forward? How do we get everyone to feel like they're empowered and part of that team so that the ultimate outcome is a stronger business, a happier guest, you know, more profitability? All these things are like the three sided pyramid. 
Um, one thing I think anybody listening to this, if there's sometimes the gold is in the question, and I think the question is, if everybody write those three questions down, you spend the next week or month in your management or leadership meetings just to get the question right. Okay. Uh, but I want to start a little bit farther upstream. So what I've seen Please happen, do. as you've said, the industry is booming. Uh, so we've reopened, staff have been off, they've been brought back, we're short-staffed, and we are charging hard. And one thing that I say is that COVID was like open-heart surgery. So we got a diagnosis, it was COVID, um, and we're, that's like we have something wrong with our heart that we need to fix it. The surgery part where they cut open our chest and crack open our ribs was the shutdown. So we actually shut our restaurants and it had an impact. Then they closed our ribs back up, stitched us up, and we opened our industry back up again. But for a lot of us, we emotionally have not healed. So we haven't, like, we still have staff that are coming in the restaurant. So before we can get them to buy into our vision, our plan, and our engagement, I just, and this isn't going back to, I don't want to bring back up COVID. I just want to bring the, what's the reality of what we're expecting from our people today? Because in a hotel, think about a housekeeper's responsibilities now versus pre-pandemic. They're significantly higher. So we're asking more from our people. We are. And I encourage everybody to sit with your team and create, create space. And we can send an agenda out for this meeting because um, probably won't get in all the detail to anybody who's interested. But how do you have a conversation with your people just to say, I care about you. I see you. I value. It was hard for me, vulnerability as a leader. Um, I know so many leaders have said they were close to closing their doors or remortgaging their home or you know making significant financial decisions. So we show up a little bit honest, create space to have that conversation. Because the biggest mistake is we step over what just happened and into ops. And there's still staff that are in your restaurant today that love you, care about you. But they're still holding on to what they went through in the, in the pandemic or just the ripple effect afterwards. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Touching on a lot of really key ideas here. Um, we're, we're obviously wanting to encourage our team to hang in there because they've been beaten up as badly as owners and managers have. And again, with short staffing, they've had to pick up the slack a lot. And yes, we can say all day long, oh, we love you. Thank you so much. And all that kind of stuff. But it's like, how do we get beyond that? And I believe the key is asking them, is there anything that we can do to make your job easier? Is there anything broken that needs to be fixed? Can we make your work life more comfortable here? And I went through this with my own restaurant during the pandemic. You know, the kitchen was hot. So suddenly we brought in cooling. Um, you know, people were on their feet a lot longer. We, you know, rubber mats, whatever it is, there was a mixer yep. that was kind of on the blink. And sometimes in the bakery, the mixer would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And I wouldn't have known that unless I went to someone yep. and said, Hey, is there anything we can do? Hey, by the way, the mixer's broken. You know, that was a very simple thing. But you'd be surprised at how people open up and say, well, thanks for asking. It would be great if you could do X. You know what I mean? 
hundred percent. I am a, the biggest believer in any work that we do around co-creation. So we'll create 30 to 60% of a strategy with the leadership team. But if we don't have a co-creation model where we're, we're bouncing it off the people that are actually responsible to execute it, whether it's frontline staff, backhouse staff, um, whether it's the management team, we need to get people involved if we want to get more people supporting the strategy. But I think one thing that you said there is when we ask questions, there's so much uh, power to learn. And we can link this in the podcast. One of my favorite TED Talks is called Shut Up and Listen. It's, it's Ernesto, and I forget his last name. This incredible Italian man who just shares this story about um, some agriculture developments that they did in Africa. And it's, it's one of the most watched TED Talks, but it just, it's something you should be for your managers. But yep. it just, I think the power of actually listening to people. And what you said there that I heard most is safety protocols don't necessarily make our people feel safe. We could follow them to the T and they are safe, but our, our job as leaders now is to make sure, number one, that our staff have the tools to do their job at the level that's expected. And number two, there's an, like the one thing with the pandemic, it's more of a feeling and it could just be capacity of working, but how do we make our staff feel safe? If that's still a question, depending on where you're operating. Correct. Absolutely. And then also, how do we make them feel supported so they feel they're not coming into a shift knowing I, we should have 10 people on the floor floor or 10 people in the kitchen and we're going to have six and I'm walking back into this again today. So we just, to our best of our ability, feel supported, feel safe, drive the conversation. And, and our job as leaders is, is to be more coach-like. Don't be coaches, be more coach-like um, so we can listen. And if we listen, you're going to find the gold and fix the mixer. We're going to make it cooler in the restaurant. Like these solutions, and they matter to people. They, they deeply do. And I, I would assume you didn't have the labor shortages that most people in your in your market did based on what the changes that you made. You are who you are, but I don't think what you went through is probably much more efficiently executed than the average restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I always had a different approach. Um, for many of my audience, they know that I started restaurants from scratch, ran them for 20 years, built what I call the dream team staff. And it really focused on working on the business for a while so that I didn't have to work in it anymore. So I put systems in place and the biggest system was all foundational around the staff and they were empowered. There's a difference between, I believe, delegation and empowerment. I believe anyone can tell somebody what to do and how to do it, but to really empower someone so that they understand what the task is at hand. And even if they may not be able to accomplish it with great success, give them the room to fail, encourage them, nurture them, develop them, recognize and reward them and then they'll have your back when the chips are down. And that was a, a, a philosophy that worked great for me. And then you said some things that really revolve around company culture and not every business has really thought about what their company culture is. And, yeah. and that maybe leads to that vision statement, the mission statement, whatever, but getting everybody on board so that they all understand what is the end goal of this business? Why are we here? It's all about the word hospitality so that everyone feels hospitality. You know, I mean, but that whole company culture is a crux there. Do you have any words of advice or, or magic formula for a business that has not really developed a company culture, but it's it's almost a link to their brand because branding is super important. And the image that we present to the guest is super important for new and repeat business and all that. But the brand is all wrapped up in the staff as well, because every person that works in that restaurant, I believe, is a brand ambassador for that business in any industry. You know, so as a guru, as a coach, as a consultant, what would you say to that? And and you know, what do you see in in your everyday work life in working with clients? 
do they have fully developed company cultures, mission statements, all that kind of stuff? Or is now the time to really just think about it and say, hey, this is foundational as well. This is going to help us get down the road where we want to go. Yeah, and I, I think um, part of it is language. So you know, a lot of us in the the restaurant industry, some of us have come from corporate jobs or built up in the industry. And when we say things like, I often find resistance against statements like vision, mission, values. So people kind of say, I get it, don't really need it in my. So there's kind of resistance towards the language because it feels corporate. Um, so one thing we have to do is get comfortable with what's. It's not about the statement; it's about the outcome. It's about how do we use language that, like, language for me really matters inside a restaurant group. Um, so that's for some people. I say, what are what's our core drivers? Um, what's our purpose? How do, what's our play to win statement? But I'll work with somebody to make sure it, it lands for them, so they're buying into doing the work. Because the reality is, you have a culture strategy right now. Today, your restaurant's open. It's there. It might not be documented. But what's the benefit if we do revisit it? What's the benefit if we do improve it? What's the benefit if we start to engage more with our people versus the risk if we don't? Um, so just trying to, I think in our industry is how do we make it seem less big and how do we kind of make it more clear? And then again, focus on the outcome. So all the work that I do as a coach isn't, we're not looking to do work to create an exercise, to create a business plan, to sit in rooms and workshop. That's all the process. The outcome is what are the behaviors to get you the results you want and deserve for your restaurant or restaurant group? And I think it's just breaking that down in different ways. Um, and you know, we have... Uh, on our on our course, we'll share all this stuff with you. There's 33 worksheet assets that we can give to people. We'll find the right one for you. Great. And the biggest thing for me as a coach, I'm trying to coach people to do less, not more. All of us are overcommitted right now. So it's actually, how do we do less um, and go deep when it comes to our goals and plans rather than overcommit? As I find uh, myself definitely as an entrepreneur is, is one of my biggest weaknesses. You mentioned the word risk and that really stood out to me. And I don't want to scare anyone in the audience, but you know, now is a time of rebirth in our restaurants where we really, if we were too close to it before the pandemic, it's just endemic for an owner to be so close to their operation. A lot of them think, oh, I got this, you know, I've been doing it this way forever. And I always, you know, took a walk outside the front door and I tried to put my guest shoes on and open up my eyes and see what the guest sees. Every aspect of my experience, I trained my staff to do the same thing. I had 53 employees in my biggest restaurant and every single person had to come through the front door with their eyes open, noticing things that the guest might see and fix things before the guest sees them. Okay. Yeah. So that was a critical foundational element of, of how I approach the business, but let's get back to risk. What I meant by risk was you have to stay relevant as a restaurant owner and operator. You're, you have to keep moving forward, whether that's technology, whether that's marketing, whether that's staff training, combination of all those things, because that old adage, survival of the fittest is never more appropriate than right now. You know, And this is the crux of what we're talking about. It's like, okay, we want to get our staff on board. We want to get planning sessions going. We want to encourage people to feel comfortable sharing their ideas, but it's all about how do we move this organization forward? How do we stay competitive? How do we stay ahead of what the competition is doing? And 100%. then continue to, you know, fix little things that are broken, make the, the work life more comfortable for the staff, get them so that they're delivering superior hospitality experiences every day, even though they are beaten up, even though they are short staffed. I mean, what a challenge, what an ask that is. But if the restaurant is still standing and they've made it through the pandemic, again, now's the time to somehow figure out how to stay relevant. What would you say about that? 
I think, you know, to stay relevant, I would go back to um, the vision you had when you took the loan out for your restaurant. The day you got the keys and you put them in the door, there was just, oh. there's a passion. If you go back yeah. to that feeling, yeah. Yeah, you, were sharing, you were sharing me hanging like in, in your previous restaurant, like hanging things that meant pieces to you, you're creating mm-hmm. a feeling. Right. So we want to go back to the question of why does your restaurant exist? The reality in most communities in North America, we don't need another restaurant. We will continue to see 50 50 plus percent closures in our industry as we did pre-pandemic. So why does your community need, why does your community need your restaurant? What's the underserviced niche or niche that you're providing? So is it your food? Is it your experience? Is it your staff? Is it your presence? So what is it that is that you're going to bring to the market that is going to allow you to be unique, um, beat your competition in a respectful way? Because we're, we're a close community, but we do have to survive and thrive. But what is it that you're looking to deliver? Because sometimes as we go through COVID, it becomes a COVID and the pandemic recovery and the challenges and you have the labor crisis. And we probably have a supply chain crisis or pandemic coming down with what we're seeing in supply chain issues now. Of course. So what's going to keep us fighting forward and not just lift our heads up and say, why did we get here in the first place? And I think, you know, I'm often working, you know, with myself through the pandemic. We had to go by the work has been hard. So why fight as much? I want to help operators get the results they want and deserve in their business. As I've said a few times, what that looks like is what gets me out of bed and gets me on planes and travels and calls. But for you, it's what's, where's that fire? Because one thing I've done a lot of work with Tony Robbins and I say his name now in the Younger generation doesn't know this much, but I've spent weeks of my life with Tony Robbins. And I, I do. Spent, <laughs> I, I have spent tens of thousands of dollars on his courses. And I'll break it down. I, I got a chance to sit with him. And, and he just repeated, 70% of our results are driven by our physical state. So how we show up in a room. So as an owner, your staff are looking at you and they need leadership now. So what is your energy? What are you bringing to your businesses? What's your clarity? What's your communication? But just remember that 70% of your results, if we want our staff to change our behaviors, come from your leadership and your consistent way that you show up. And I appreciate how hard that is right now. I, and what I Tony says is well. 20% is 20% is your Y, 10% is your Excel sheet business plan strategy. But if we get the, if we get the Y and the intention and, and our physical state as Roger, as you showed up, get on this call, you're bringing, you're bringing fire, right? You're bringing energy and excitement to everything you do, which is why people respond. So if we can revisit that, we can get better results. I have to ask, we keep talking about fire, rediscovering the fire. Did you walk yeah. on fire with Tony? <laughs> I, I was supposed to go to David Destiny or the, the, um, that program. And it was, I was so excited and it's going to yeah. go down with my wife and, and they actually canceled it. So I, I've done, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I've done the 18 hours in a, in a room for six days and, and the minus two temperature that he keeps, but, and love it and continue to go back. But uh, I will fire walk one day. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I don't really know what, what that involves. Obviously a very positive mindset, but I wish you the best when you, when you do that. <laughs> I saw Oprah do it. So she looked pretty oh. happy after she did it. So it's uh, oh, amazing. I have no idea. Well, that says a lot. Well, if Oprah can do it, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. You coined a phrase, vulnerability-based leadership. Now, what does it mean to lead with with vulnerability and authenticity? Can you bring that concept to life for us? I'll I'll share a story from from my side. It's based on my school experience. I walked around with a pretty big wound that I'm not a smart person. So what I would do in my early stages is I would use big words, you know, have fancy clothes to try to show up. You know, most of the times the clients that might be in a sweater or hoodie or, or running shoes, a pair of Jordans to help them through now. But yeah. um, I wasn't being my authentic self. And I thought I was showing up right. I was trying to be my mentors. Um, and in doing so, uh, I wasn't authentic. I missed some connection, you know, although I, I had some, some success. 
So the vulnerability-based leadership for me is to start to share my story of my learning disabilities, start to share that as someone uh, through the pandemic, I struggle with anxiety and depression. I share my failures, you know, what, where not only how I've succeeded through the pandemic, but also how I failed. And I've learned this from Brene Brown's work. It's um, who's basically written on vulnerability, shame, and blame, and one of the most successful authors of, of the last and coaches, speakers for the last uh, 15, 20 years now. But what I see in our industry is a lot of us as leaders think we have to show up and be perfect, show up and, and make sure to have an answer. And the reality is, for many of us, what our teams need right now is for us to be, to be real. Um, for us to show up and be honest, because that's what creates connection. So we're not looking to overshare our family situations or become therapists. We're just looking for people to really be real when they show up. And as we look to, if we have a retention, a staff retention issue. If we can try vulnerability in a new way, every group I've worked with this on has had significantly beneficial results. Um, we have to, it's not zero to a hundred. We've got to move quick. But if we can start to connect more with our people intentionally, I promise you it'll prove your retention results engagement and culture. Oh, I like that. That's beautiful. Let's talk about the book now. Now the book is called, you can't do it alone. Can you tell us why the title and what someone's going to get out of reading that book? Absolutely. The, the book was written as I get a chance that we, we do work with the top 10% of the market with my one-on-one -on -one coaching. So that's where I get to spend my time. And over about five years, I started to see patterns that would come up. So whether it's an independent restaurant trying to get out um, we can't do it alone. We need support inside the restaurant, whether it's a scaling multi-site multi, multi -site group. If you know it's addition going from one location to two, maybe to three, it's multiplication as we go of complexity once we go four, five, six and beyond. Sure. And then we have scaling larger groups that are, are really looking at some rapid scale or expansion. And if we want to have our operations run properly, no matter if we're a $500,000 $500, year coffee shop or one of my clients will do 500 million this year um, in sales to the restaurants, we need people to support our vision. So the, you can't do it alone is to talk to the owner to say, there's a way that you can do it differently. We can get others involved in your strategy and it will allow you to get what you want and deserve. Because I'd sit with these owners and as it's written in the book, I've sat with over a dozen owners last year that when I asked them to turn their screen around that I'm looking into now and show me their calendars, I would see their hands go in their face. And in many cases, tears will not being dramatic here for effect, mm -hmm. literally tears roll down their face. I can't oh, yeah. do it anymore. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Right. Um, so as humans, we move away from pain or we move towards pleasure. So I found that pattern is we can't do it. We've got to move away from that pain. And it starts with the leader. Um, then we work through how we, you know, how we create a proper plan, how we enroll people in the plan. And then we just talk through strategies of how do we communicate and execute? Um, how do we build future leaders inside your, inside your restaurant? Wow. Now, one of the concepts we talk about, or you, I should say you talk about, is there are so many opportunities right now. And how does a, an effective leader prioritize and not get lost in that whole indecision? It's like, how do they make these decisions? How do they evaluate those opportunities? Because whether you get a $500 million restaurant company or a $500,000 coffee shop, that premise remains the same. It's like, there's lots of opportunities out there. Where should I go? What should I do? And how do I not get lost in the overwhelm? Because our bandwidth is is literally pulled in so many directions, yet we don't want to lose any of these opportunities because in a blink of an eye, they'll be gone. What would you say to that? Um, I, I agree that like, we have to look at recovering our business and maybe it's more hours, maybe it's more effort, maybe it's just getting the right team in place. But the reality is anybody listening to this is a top performing operator. Like you're taking the time to invest in yourself and listen or watch. 
And the reality is for your team, you know, we can't do all things. There are going to be incredible opportunities that come across this year. But if we commit to everything, our execution, as the Harvard studies say, if we're committed to doing three, more than three things at an excellent level, we will get zero done at a good level or even a great level. So well the, the challenge for leaders now is to sit down. And I say not all things have a return on time or a return on investment. So there could be great ideas. But what we want to look at, and if we had a session, we, we would we would storyboard, we'd put the whiteboards up, we'd, we'd paint the wall and the opportunities, but then we'd rank them in priority of how do they align with our goals? You know, what's the impact on the business short-term and long-term? Because sometimes we chase short-term cash. Sometimes we need that. Most of the times we don't. But how do we focus on the, the top three initiatives? And what I coach people to do is, there are, most people don't have hours in the day. But I say, if I could get somewhere between six and 12 hours of somebody's time in a week to focus on your core goals. So if somebody's working a 50-hour work week, give me six hours to work on, on your, your guest service experience. And let's see what that looks like. How are they coaching your staff? How are they engaging with your guests? How are they putting a recognition program in play? The compound impact of focusing hours a week. And if we did that consistently and relentlessly, we'll fundamentally change your business. So we're trying to get over the objection of I'm already too busy. But if we really went all in on this, what would the benefit be? What would the outcome be? What would the impact be for us, our team, and our guests, and our community? Um, but it's, it's not only what do we need to do, it's where is the time in the day? When are we blocking time to do the work? And how do we give our general manager um, permission to coach your staff and spend two hours a day coaching staff on service experiences? Because right now they might feel that they have to cut labor um, and they're cutting labor working on the floor. But, and you got to decide what's best for you right now, but what's really going to get the best beneficial long-term result. So I know that's a lot in there. Like that's a big coaching conversation. So let me know if that was clear, but. Oh, it was for sure. But that leads to that whole balance that we have to find between and, and the mindset shift, you know, paradigm shift, because right now, okay, labor is tight and costs are rising and we got to maintain the bottom line. Yet people look at labor as a cost versus an investment, you know, and I'd love to cover that fact that your staff are an investment. They're not a cost. And even if you pay them a couple extra hours to do these brainstorming sessions to really generate great ideas, you'd never know what the ROI potential is in some of those ideas that'll more than pay not only the labor for the two-hour meeting once a month, but also you know incentives, bonuses, other recognition. Some big idea could come out of a one session that literally transforms your business. And I speak from experience when I say that. So I love the fact that you, you brought that up. And I love the fact that we can sort of maybe open the eyes of some operators right now and let them know, hey, don't be short-sighted for the short term. Let's be a little long-sighted for a strategic idea that might generate some, some serious ROI. I think that's a really powerful idea. What is consistent and effective communication look like? If you sure. could, uh, Yeah. Coach me, coach us on that's a communication is again, I keep using this word foundational, but it is absolutely essential to be good communicators, not just us to our staff, but our staff up the chain, down the chain, sideways communication and effective leadership is super important. So let's talk about that concept. And, you know, I've had just based on my career, I've worked with lots of managers and, and I've offered my time over throughout the pandemic and my phone rings a dozen times a week from people I haven't seen in a long time. And the yeah. number one thing that comes up from them, and these are senior managers, so we're not talking kind of mid-level managers in restaurants, your GMs, 
your chefs, your regionals, uh, even directors that are calling me saying, I'm not clear as to where we're going. I haven't really heard from leadership or I've heard from them. I didn't really understand, or we heard a bunch at the start of the pandemic and I haven't heard anything since. And we're all working such crazy hours, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not as bought into where we're going as I was, or I'm scared. You know, the, the reality is like the fear of, can we pay our mortgage? Can our industry recover? Will I stay open? You know, all of these things are playing through our heads. So what people are asking for is, is consistent communication and connection. So I say COVID took away community and connection, but whether it's post-pandemic, uh, whether it's, you know, going into our, our staff crisis that we're in now, what people crave during times of challenge and change is consistent communication. And we work with people and we take this from, from the business community. So the entrepreneurial community, from small business, from large business, um, the fact is most restaurant are most restaurants or restaurant groups aren't communicating enough. So what consistent communication looks like for me, we'll start with the process of do we have um, do we have a daily meeting in place? Is there any touch point pre-shift? What does that look like? Is it intentional? Do we have a weekly meeting? In most cases, we can all relate. Have we all been in a weekly meeting that was scheduled for an hour that took four? We still walked away from there. So what are we talking about? And now I've got 10 times more homework and I'm not sure who's actually responsible for it. We go back to that meeting and we talk about the same stuff again. So nobody wants to go back to the meeting. So we want to have a weekly meeting, but it's an update for the business. Uh, then we would coach you. This is all in the book. We, get, we don't have to get the book. We can get you this information um, if, that's, if that's what you need. But it's, if we have the weekly meeting, a monthly meeting, and offsites. But what we're just looking for is to make sure teams that communicate and stay connected see great results. You know, look at how often a sports team would meet. You know, if, you, if you respect a retailer or a business, if anybody's a Starbucks fan, next time you're in Starbucks, ask, ask the person how often that team meets. The reality is Starbucks is a brand that most of us know and some of us like spends more money and investment on their people than they do on coffee. Yes, I've heard that. So they're spending more money on people than coffee and that, that's a shocking stat for the, for the scale of their operation. And some of that's through benefits. But they're, you know, Howard Schultz shut the restaurants down when he took them back over to re-communicate training. It cost the business tens of millions of dollars to shut all Starbucks down for a day. But the foundation of great businesses is communication. Um, and I know there's more depth that we can go into is how do we run a successful pre-shift or huddle? How do we run a weekly team meeting? Um, we've tried a lot of different ways. There's not one size fits all, but we can create the structure that you can shape to fit your business. Because um, if we're not communicating in the excuses that we're busy, I promise you have short-term execution today, but it does have a tendency to break down over time. And Roger, you shared like your staff knew how they had to walk in the, into your location and look at the business. That's training. That's the communication. Then that, that creates dialogue and conversation. That creates a standard. It creates an expectation. If we can just do those simple things consistently, it's incredible the culture we can build. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, to take that one step further, we created what I called battle stations within the restaurant where the front of house staff had their own section that they had to police and monitor for these things that were broken that we didn't want the guests to see, whether it was a wobbly table or maybe a ketchup bottle that had ketchup dribbling down the side, whatever it is, there's a thousand details in each section. So that's a battle station. But then we also had a mantra, every table is your table. So there was the overlap where if someone yep. in a different section was in the middle of service, let's just say a customer dropped their fork on the floor and that person's server was in the kitchen getting food or doing whatever, and a busser, a host, a server in a different station noticed something, every table is your table and up level the organization so that everyone has eyes on the floor and everyone is backing each other up. And it's all about teamwork and team spirit and recognition and rewards. You know, 
let's let's talk about that. I really love to talk about recognition because everyone works for a paycheck, of course. Obviously, we all have to eat, we all have to pay our bills, we need to make money and, and save for the future, all that kind of stuff. And that's a given. But people really thrive on praise. And you know, being recognized for going above and beyond was so empowering for myself and my team. You know, and we had a program called Difference Dollars, and we recognized two people every week because the majority of people worked on a Friday and a Saturday night, not, you know, and Difference Dollars was as simple as I could recognize someone for going above and beyond. Maybe they helped a teammate. Maybe they solved the guest's problem. Whatever it was, it was going above and beyond the typical scope of the job. And I would call the entire team together on a Friday and then again on a Saturday, just before the doors opened for business. And I would recognize someone. And it was really empowering because I would tell everyone gathered, you know, the person would come forward. I would hand them a $20 bill and a can of Red Bull. And I would thank them very much for what they did for making a difference. And then I would go into my office and I'd kind of type it up. And I had all these inexpensive frames that we got from Walmart or whatever. And we covered the kitchen and the employee area and the employee bathroom and the hallway, you know, all the behind the scenes areas over time filled up with all these differences. And whenever a new employee was hired, you couldn't help but notice they would stop and read all these things. And that sent a very clear message of how we ran our business and what our expectations were. And after a while, it's like that built such chemistry and it up-leveled the team that people knew instantly whether I fit in this organization or I don't. And I either follow you know, the lead of all the veterans that have been there and assimilate best practices, or I'm not going to last very long. And after yeah. a while, we didn't have to fire anyone anymore. People just sort of fell by the wayside or they were voted yeah. off the island because they didn't fit the culture of the 100%. business. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Do you have any uh, stories similar to that, or can you give any advice about how to recognize and reward people, especially now when you know people are getting high wages and we have to pay higher wages and we have to incentivize our people, but not just because it needs to be earned. I believe you know you can't just be throwing money around just because we have to keep people. You have to somehow build that culture where people want to earn it and they want to take the next level and grow in an organization and and rise above the situation now. You know what I mean? Hundred percent, and recognition again is a foundation, as as it's in the book. And anything you'll find that we do, that you'll find of us or me online, is founded in a recognition-focused culture. And I think the the one thing that I hope everybody heard in what you just shared was that there there are there's there's great activity and expectations, but it is driven towards a standard. What it meant to work with you, what it meant to serve your guests, the experience you wanted to create. Right there, there is an incredibly strong why that that comes out of you, the why, because these things might sound um, to some operators like, I'm busy, how would I do, you know, how would I type up the do the walls? It's because of the impact and the business you created and the retention it had and the recruiting element it had because people knew that what you stood for. But my belief is that the days of uh, reprimanding staff, so we do 500 covers and we mess up, slightly mess up seven. So at the end of the shift, we're talking about the seven. And we're not talking about the benefits. And this is cultural in our industry. And people will tell, tell me, Matt, we don't really believe in, in recognition here. Um, you know, we've done it this way. And I just, I don't, it's not genuine for me. And I said, I get that. And I said, it's not about you anymore. Um, this is in my business as well. It's not, it's not about my, my recognition beliefs, which are what they are, but it's about how are we going to take care of our people? And I think that recognition happens by design. I want to hear it just for most of the teams I work with, we put a recognition process in place. As you said, that we, we give the $20 bill, can of Red Bull, then we type it up and we post. That's a process. 
But we actually look at simple measurements. So for managers, the one question, if you want to change your culture and all of the noise, if you say to your managers, I'd like you to recognize three people all next week. And I just want you to jot down in your phone what you recognize them for, how did they react and how did it make you feel? And then when we come back to our manager meeting, we're going to review that because recognition creates the feeling and it'll create it not only in the person receiving it, but the person giving it. But if we start putting recognition and attention in the direction of what great looks like, like I want people to look for great today. When you're listening to this, go into your restaurant operations, night, find great, pull that person aside and say, that was great. And I promise like this, that simple change. Um, but if we can't do that and we're trying to force change from behind people and right now the staff have to leverage in choice. Um, we have four generations in the, in the workforce right now. The force we have Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen X, and even they're looking into a boomer. So we have boomer generation. So we have four um, generations in the workforce. But um, I think Gen X or Gen Z and Gen Y are one of the most uh, remarkable generations we've ever had in the workforce. But they need to be recognized and communicated to. It is if you go into the deep surveys, we can go into Gallup surveys. It's a must for them, not a, not a want. It's a must. And if they feel they're working hard and not being recognized, they will, unfortunately, I say this respectfully, but I want to put some pressure on you as the operator assisting. If you don't, the risk is they'll leave and find somebody who will. Absolutely true. That perfect segues into leadership by example. How important is leadership by example versus just being a strong manager that empowers and just tells someone, this is how it's done. I'm going to nurture this um, you know, nurture this sort of task or behavior or whatever, go do it. Let's, let's uncover that whole thing. What does leadership by example really mean? How important is it today in any organization? Yeah, so I think, you know, as if you're an independent operator, multi-site chain, you're designing an experience you want for your guests, whether it's on the back of a napkin in your office or, or over a coffee, or whether you're sitting in a boardroom with a team of 20 designing the experience. But ultimately, what we want is to create something that's going to be executed by our frontline staff consistently. But the only way people are going to buy into that if they're showing leadership, like leadership is willing to, to lead by example. And I know we all know this, but I'll often get asked, people call and say, Matt, we want to do a, a scaled staff training process for our staff. And I said, that sounds really exciting. What are we going to do with the leadership team? No, it's about the staff. You know, we're good. We're, we're busy, Matt. We got stuff going on. So, okay, great. So we want people, they, them to invest in themselves, but we're not going to do the same investment. And this is, I, I, I'll push a bit on people on the side, but if we're not willing to invest in ourselves and have a development strategy that's top down and work through the organization, from my experience, I have designed program, it'll fail. It can't be about them. It has to be about us. And if independent operator election, what are we going to do together that are going to allow us to show up lead by example, and actually sh that they understand we know how to execute. And I'm not asking you to get on the line and, and cook something tonight. Um, I, I asked somebody, somebody asked me to bartend and say, if you know everything you got, you come and get behind our bar. And I said, couldn't do it, never done it. Uh, wouldn't work out very well for your inventory. Um, so it's not something I do, but I can make sure that I can do moving recognition points with your staff, or we can help do a pre-shift or we can lead. But you just have to, if we want some, a new behavior from our staff, we need to do it consistently. I also encourage people, if you want your staff to do different, just doing a meeting to launch the strategy to say, here's the expectation. I want you to, to go into that, that you need to be consistent in creating a standard for 30 to 90 days before you should expect your staff to consistently follow through. So often we presented new service strategies, new menus, new promotions, new technology, and it's lasted for a bit and it's gone away. So it's fell off and it's fell by the wayside. So staff, or this has happened at your staff's previous employers, 
So in order for them to fully buy into your vision, direction, your service strategy, whichever it is, your new technology, you need to make it a standard. And it's going to take a bit of time for them to buy in based on the trust and challenges that we all have from what we've based on what we've just gone through. I know we're covering a big stuff. So I know it's a lot for somebody to take it on the other side, but these are some big concepts that I'd love to talk about. So I hope that's landing for the audience. Yeah, I was hanging on every word. That was beautiful. <laughs> that is absolutely true. You know, the word pivot has been used so much since the pandemic hit. And obviously every business, it doesn't matter the industry, but we're focused on restaurants here. And every restaurant has had to pivot um, in an instant, lightning quick, because, okay, I didn't expect this. And tomorrow, everything has to be 100% different. And we have to change processes, procedures. In my own restaurant, we literally had to rip out all the chairs and booths because we couldn't see it inside anymore. We had to turn it into a market. you know. And that was one pivot of five pivots that we had to make. So obviously, organizations are used to pivoting. It may continue into the future. But in your book, you talk about leaders pivoting as well. Now, how is that so important? And let's let's talk about the concept of leadership having to pivot and where are they pivoting to and what kind of decisions are they making that they weren't making yesterday? Sure. And I, I think it's, you know, we're looking at different choice. So based on the, the pivots, you know, we all, some of us have moved to delivery, some did, you know, markets, um, you know, some did different hours. We've done a lot of pivots, but I think as leaders, the one thing we have to do is look at what changes did we make during the last two years and what still serve us today and our future. You know, I, I love the third-party delivery companies. I got a couple who who get quite frustrated with me because my concern is I want the restaurant to own the guest. I don't want the third-party delivery, the marketing machine to own the app to own your guest where there's hundreds of choices. Absolutely true. And if we're if we're not engaged, so I just work if there's a pivot, I just want to make sure that delivery and delivery is not going away. The statistics from mm-hmm. FSR magazine or QSR magazine are, are, are if you want to look at those statistics, they're they are shocking. It's not going um, away. It's essential for every operation in the future for sure. Yeah. So just how how do we continue to own that pivot if you did changes in your staff? But I think when it comes to to leaders pivoting, it's how one thing I know is I'm not the leader that my business needs me to be and my clients need to, me to be six months from now. So I need to continue to invest in myself. I need to continue to get clear. If we want to take care of others, if we want, want to lead others, we must first take care of self. So I think the pivoting for us is making sure how do we become the leader that our business needs us to be moving into the future. And that's something you'll see from somebody like Gary V online, Gary Vaynerchuk, if, yeah. if that's younger generation of Jack Welch. You know, Jack Welch, the top CEO of the last century, century mm-hmm. unfortunately recently passed, but one of my mentors is just saying, as leaders, we need to be crystal clear. We need to let our people know exactly what's expected of, of them. And I think the pivot right now is, do we have clarity of where we're going? And do, have we created the clarity? And I'll repeat that word, but clarity is important. Have we created the clarity for our people so they know exactly what's expected of them in their positions? So we can't assume, like COVID changed responsibilities and management and staff. Have we sat down and just said, here, here is actually your measurement of success? Um, because what's happening is often the leadership is expecting one thing and the manager or staff members working so hard over here, doing everything they can, but the, it's not what the leader wants. So the leader's disappointed and the staff member doesn't feel recognized. So we have a disconnect. So, you know, a manager is working on our, our local store marketing and what they really want them to do is work on attracting new staff. So we have a disconnect. It's our job as leaders. If we're going to pivot to one thing, clarity in where we're going, but make sure all of your core people know exactly what's expected of them. Not a hundred things. Not, not their job, the core things that they need to do to move the business forward. I'm inspired by that. <laughs> That's yeah. great. And then 
it takes time. It's fluid right now, yeah. unfortunately. I had, to, I had a leader this week say, oh, I'm really busy, Matt Helmut. And he got, he's a dear friend and they have 150 locations and a massive 800 person support office. And he's like, when am I going to do that, Matt? And I said, I don't know. I said, I've, I've got your back. I'm here to help you. And you have a, you have a wonderful team. But what happens if we don't? Because we just had, we just had conversations about what you expect and what it was doing. And there's a gap there. So some of the stuff takes time and I do appreciate that. And it is fluid. It's not a one and done. But if we consistently revisit every quarter, twice a year, it'll, it'll have the impact. It'll have a great return on the time. Excellent. Excellent. Let's talk a lot about what every organization needs right now. Every, every restaurant, every hotel, everyone struggling with the labor crisis needs solutions. And you mentioned the word recruiting versus hiring before. That is certainly one aspect. But what, what advice or what best practices or what have you seen within your clients that is really working right now? Where are they finding successes in solving this? And it's not going to be solved overnight, but here and there, I keep hearing of these innovative ideas that are helping restaurants that are achievable and are actionable by other restaurants, not just the organization that came up with the idea. What are you seeing out there? Yeah. So there, there's a say, and we've coached on this topic for, for quite a long time. And there is some great technology out there if it's right for your business. But if there's any operator out there, I'm going to give you simple, but very powerful things that you could do that'll change your, your attracting results next week. The first thing I want you to do is revisit your job ad. So often I'll go into a meeting and say, we can't, we're having trouble attracting people. So my team will pull down five of their competitors' job ads, take the logos and brands off, pull their job ads down, which most of the leaders haven't looked at in a while because they haven't posted them. Take all the logos off, put them in the middle of the table and say, find your job ad. Which one's yours out of the five or six? And often we, it's a good laugh because they're all the same. Great place to work, fun, great hours, good culture, all of this stuff. But what I want to encourage people to do is revisit your job ad. So it's a very, not, you're just not competing with other restaurants. You're competing with all retailers, all quick service, all retailers. You're dealing with the gig economy for people. So we need to really stand out. So when it comes to your job ad, traditionally, what happens is people are talking about themselves at the top of the job ad. Here's our company. Here's what we need from you. you know, I still see people posting, get an entry level management job at my restaurant and you need three years experience. It's just, it's not gonna, I, I just saw one from uh, the, mate, the Canada's biggest airline who we, we work with here, just posted it for one of their restaurants. So I called them up and said, please take it down. Let's revisit this. So I want you to talk about your candidate up front. So I want you to, what does it mean to work for you, with you? And what is your promise to your people? What are they going to get from working with you? Talk to them in the first paragraph. Talk what you're going to provide them, what you're going to compensation, how you're going to grow and develop them and how you're going to support them. And it's just, we're trying to interrupt the pattern online. So if we get a unique job at it, we can supply some examples and we will provide the link. We have an hour long recorded webinar on attracting and retaining staff that we can, everybody can have access to. And it's, it's our best work over a decade that you can go through to support this conversation. Um, but job ad number one, job two is how, where are you posting? Where is your ideal candidate today? Where would you find them? So you said, the one thing I loved, $20 bill on a Red Bull. A Red Bull means you know your, your, your market. The Red Bull means it's probably a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. On a ski hill, they're cool. somewhere where they are in that market on a ski. We know exactly where to go find them. But if you're in a major city right now, where is your ideal candidate and where are they looking for jobs? LinkedIn, Facebook, Indeed. And you probably have to put a small budget behind to pay to play. So right now, if you post a job, Indeed's got these wonderful ads, 16,000 job ads posted per day. I think it's even more than that. Mm -hmm. so if we yeah. put a job ad up right now, by the time this podcast is over, you're going to be on page 16 unless you pay to play. So you got to pay to play just a little bit. We're talking $10 bills, not $100 bills. 
So you can literally put 20 bucks up and it'll change your ranking, your ranking strategy. But here's the one thing that'll change your results. Previously in the past, we would get a resume and we would call them once and they would be lucky to be interviewed by us because we had the leverage. But right now there's less of them than there are positions. So we need to filter our resumes differently. So we need to make sure whoever's scanning the resumes you're receiving, because we're probably saying some aren't a fit. We want to make sure they know how to filter and what to look for. But I strongly encourage you to create a simple dashboard. Out of the qualified resumes we've received, how many times did we reach out to them and did we actually contact them? In most cases, if we fix the the resume filtering process, we change the results the next week because we're calling once we didn't get an answer. That's a 21-year-old who actually doesn't have a phone, never answered their voicemail. So you left them a voicemail. They actually need a text message. So we want to make sure if we reach out three to five times for, for potentially qualified candidates, it will change your connection. It'll change the number of people you speak to. It'll change the number of people who show up to your interviews and hopefully your higher results. That is the linchpin that's missing for most operators. Um, we went into a call center recently who said that we can't, and they needed like 100 staff and said, Matt, we can't find any. And we found out that they were getting hundreds of resumes. Oh, yeah. But just based on capacity, we're following up with a fraction. We changed it. They hired, I think it was close to 60 some people the next week. They Some fell off in, in the training process. But I think we stuck under just under 40 people in a week into the call center, trained and engaged, working through the process. So the filtering, if you change it, it works. That's very strong advice. I so thank you for sharing that because it's something everyone needs to hear and embrace and try to execute. The key word being execute. I mean, there, yep. there were a lot of strong ideas there. I'm going to re-listen to that because I thought that was really powerful. But you also mentioned a webinar, so I'm I'm going to put the obviously the link in our show notes yeah. uh, to that. I think that'll be superbly helpful. It's just a, it's we we really broke down um, three sections. So there's a section on attracting. So what are the core and and I know I get told I talk fast. I might try to slow it down. <laughs> you can see that, but. Um, the webinar, there's a lot there, but there's supporting ac- assets that will allow us to execute. So there's the tools that'll take you through the exercises. So there's a section on attracting. Um, there's a, sen- a section on retaining. So what do we do to retain our people once we have them? Uh, we recently did a poll on LinkedIn to ask operators what's most important in 2022, attracting or retaining, knowing everybody's going to say both. Even to my surprise, it was 69% of people responded that retention is their number one focus for 2022. It's keeping yeah. the people we have that love Absolutely. us and already know us. Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. And then we have it developed. So what do we do to support our people so they learn and grow? Because if they're not growing, they leave. I love it. Okay. So that's attracting, retaining, and supporting those three. There's those three sides of the pyramid again. They're super important. Yeah. That's excellent. We've covered a ton of ground today, Matt. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we've missed? Um, no, I think the one thing that I encourage people is just to continue to fight forward. You know, we didn't come this far to only come this far. We've gone through the struggle. We've, you know, we've had some support and subsidy. I hope that you have. I know a lot of that is, has ended now. So we need to be looking forward for ourselves. And I, I care about our industry. As you can tell, I'm very passionate. I care about every single leader that's committing their time or owner that's put their house on, on, on the line. But what it's going to take for you is just to step back at office for a little bit and create a simple plan that makes sure you're running in the direction you want to get the results that you want to deserve. Fantastic, Matt. Well, thank you so much to Matt and our audience for tuning in. Check out the book. It's called You Can't Do It Alone, now available on Amazon. There's. Thank you for holding that up. I look forward to finishing it as well. Thank you so much for being a great guest, Matt. And I wish everyone out there to, again, rediscover that passion, relight that fire, Dig deep, be resourceful, be creative, and stay well, everyone. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see everyone 
in the next episode. Thanks again, Matt, for sharing your insights on effective leadership. One of the things that is critically important right now during these most challenging of times. I want to let you know that we are offering a free gift at restaurantrockstars.com. It's all about maximizing profit in your restaurant, which is also critically important right now as we emerge from the pandemic. I'm giving away the three ways you are killing your restaurant profits actionable ideas you can use immediately in your restaurant, as well as a free restaurant assessment. Two versions, whether you're starting your very first restaurant or you're an industry veteran, you've been in business a while or even for many, many years, there are 50 different questions that are thought-provoking and designed to make you think through your entire operation and see where you're making money, where you're losing money, and where the opportunities lie. So check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. And we'd also like to thank our episode sponsors, Devo, the automatic sales tax platform, as well as Serve, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety. Check them out, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.